All right. Well, at this time, we're going to dismiss any of the uh, four-year-olds through fourth grade that want to go to youth church. I know the workers are right out there anticipating your arrival, and you guys can head on down there. As for the rest of us, um, this is the uh, conclusion of a sermon series that we started in uh, the beginning of July entitled Making Change, Making Change. So after today, you never have to change anything ever again, right? Yeah, that's the way that works, right? Hey, listen, uh, change keeps coming at us, doesn't it? Change keeps coming at us all the time, and change always has a cost associated with it, and uh, things change, 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 change. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Um, You're going to just date yourself right now. Um, Changing, making changes, making changes. All right, see this picture here? Anybody ever have one of those... Anybody ever use one of those? Let me see your hands, big and proud. Anybody, how many of you guys grew up in the era, you know, it was the Super 8 or the regular 8, you know, and they had to kind of crank that and wind it up, and zzz, right? No sound whatsoever, and everybody kind of moved a little bit quicker, and then you'd go down maybe in the basement or the living room, and, and how many of you guys remember watching movies that way, right? And then, okay, uh, so maybe you remember doing that, and uh, but then all of that equipment went away because... This, right? Um, uh, who had one of these? Who had one of these growing up, right? Ah, yes, now you're talking about my people. And you remember uh, taking the big old cassette and putting it in there and clicking it down, or maybe it was a front loader. How many of you guys remember the first ones when it had a remote, but it actually had a cable that would reach across your living room to the remote? Anybody remember those? Yeah, okay. And uh, all right, but now VHS taste. Ha! Who has one of those anymore, right? Because these things put that thing out of business, right? Uh, DVDs came along, didn't they? And DVD player people. Now, some of you, your entire childhood was, where's the disc? Where's the disc, right? And you were sliding that thing in and out of there. You had no idea you could drop one of these rolls and the thing would go all the way down and you have this big thing you had to put back on there. And so, um, but change, 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 change. But, okay, DVDs, who watches DVD? Because everything we watch today is... What? It's streaming, streaming. Nobody watches that stuff anymore, right? If you're still watching a DVD player, you're, you're just broken. Something's wrong with, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, you understand what I'm saying. It changes, 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 right? Always making changes. And um, with every change, there comes this cost. And you can remember that day when uh, you were excited to bring home your, your first DVD player and hook it up to your new HDMI TV. And then you realize uh, you had to buy a separate cable uh, for your new HDMI, uh, you know, uh, the cable. And, and that cable was three, foot long and it cost $30, you know, and you remember that when it first started, right? Change, change, change. Okay, some of you guys are old enough to remember these things. Some of you guys, what is that? Uh, Some of you like a record. Yeah, what kind of record, eh? 45, 45. You old people all know what that is, right? And so, uh, and then the 45 got replaced with the, come on, there, A-track, A-track. How many of you guys remember A-tracks? You put the A-track in there, and the song would play, and then in the middle of the song, it would kind of fade out, and then it kind of come back in, because I had to switch tracks. Some of you guys know that. And I read about all that stuff in the history books. And uh, and the, uh, the, the A-track player got replaced with the... Cassette player, right, right, and so the cassette came out, and then uh, what happened with the cassettes? Cassettes all went away, and then came the CD, right? The CD came, and then after the CD, there was this great invention, and everybody had one. Everybody that was anybody had one, had one of these things, right? What is this thing called? iPod, right? iPod. So you're walking around, and you were cool, because you could spin the little wheel, and that's kind of where an Apple kind of really came into place. But nobody's got one of those things anymore, because today everybody... Streams, right? You stream, you stream, you stream, right? And so anybody, Pandora, Spotifyers, you know what I mean? Um, what are some of those other, uh, what are some of the other streaming services? 
Pandora. iHeartRadio. Radio. Boom. There we go. All over, right? And so, okay, you guys, all your old people. Some of you guys are old, this old. Some of you guys are this old. Look at this. Ah, ooh, what is that? That's the original floppy disk, baby, right? Right? And so some of you guys started in computers when this is the way you had to program, right? But those things eventually went away, and then these things came up, right? Some of you guys can remember when a floppy disk was actually a floppy disk, right? And then those things went away, and then these things came out, right? Remember this? Remember? Change, change, change. And then after those things were around for a while, some of you guys can remember. How many of that was? Uh, that was high school for you, those three and a quarter ones, you know, whatever. So anybody? 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 All right. And then those things went away and then it came to, right, the thumb drive, right? Everybody was using the jump drive, jump drive. No, he uses a jump drive anymore. Who uses a jump drive? You guys use a jump Okay, got to admit, we use a jump drive still. We use a jump drive because we take things back and forth. But for the most part, you do this, right? You can just take that file, you put it in there, and away it goes, right? Aren't you glad nothing ever changes and everything always stays the same? You know, how many of you guys love it? Back in the day when, you know, you get Windows, and then all of a sudden they would decide, now's the time for you to update. And then you go up and you open up that thing that you opened up before, and I'll say, uh, uh, it doesn't work. You know, I used to click right there, and I knew exactly, now it's different, right? And it kind of sends you in a panic, right? Change, change, change. Here's the thing. Change constantly is coming our way. It's constantly coming our way. Here's another change. Some of you guys can remember way back to these days. Remember those days? Huh? Yeah, one year ago. It looked like that. Uh, some of you guys can remember all the way back. Till, to, to July, last month, right? When the stage, when the stage looked like this. Remember that? Last month, it looked like that. Some of you guys are like, oh yeah, it did, didn't it? Yep. And so change, 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 change is always going on. And we're talking about change. Last week we were talking about change. And we're talking about change me. Change me. I'm the one that needs to make some changes. Here's some questions that we asked last week. And we said this. Okay, these were love questions. We said four love questions. Do I demonstrate Christian love? Or are there changes that I need to make in me? Do I demonstrate a spirit of love? We said, you know, one of the works of the spirit is joy. Do I have any joy in my life? One of the things we said last year, um, do I love all people? You know, sometimes some people are hard to love, but but Jesus loved everybody, loved everybody, right? And do I share Christ? Do I share his love? And then we talked about there are changes that we, this morning, this morning we're going to talk about not change me, but change our church. Dun, dun, dun. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come to you this morning and uh, we ask that you will work in our hearts and in our minds and that you will help us to be uh, the people that you call us to be, that we would evaluate our hearts and our lives and that, Father, we would, uh, we would think collectively as uh, a church family and what does it mean to be a part of your kingdom and what do you call us to do. We ask that you teach us and help us not to uh, put our guard up, but that you would work in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, do you guys remember the events of Palm Sunday? This is the day when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into uh, Jerusalem, right? And uh, he has been, for about three years, he's been teaching people, he has been healing people, he has been loving people, and the crowds have begun to hear about who he is and what he's about, and he gets on that colt, and he's making his way, and people are taking their coats, and they're laying them down on the ground, and they are cutting down palm branches, and they're laying them down on the ground as he makes his way in. 
And that comes from the Old Testament, the book of Kings, when there was a, a new king that was pronounced or announced. Uh, people would do that. And so it's symbolic that they believe Jesus is the Messiah. He is going to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He, all of the Old Testament law is going to go away. And now uh, he is going to rise up like David rose up. And when David was the king and the leader of all Jerusalem, and, uh, and now Jesus is going to be that guy. And remember that Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. Do you remember the first place that he went? Do you remember the first place that he went? Do you remember what he did when he arrived in Jerusalem? Well, we read about it in the book of uh, Jesus went to church. Jesus, Jesus went to the temple. Jesus went to the temple when he arrived there. And when he arrived there, you know what he found? He found everybody in the temple doing what they had always done before. They were there worshiping, and they were there engaged in some activities where they would uh, buy and sell. And, they, and so we read about it in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Here's what takes place. When Jesus comes straight from the triumphal entry, this is what he does. Jesus shows up, Matthew, chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Think about that. Where do you go to buy and sell? You go to the store, right? And uh, when you go to the store, uh, these guys were going to the temple and the temple courts there. And uh, there were money changers there because there were people from all these different areas uh, uh, in Jerusalem. The people would have to go and they'd have to change and they'd have to make sure that their money was going to be good at the temple. And then they would have to buy animals uh, in order to make sacrifices. And it's because it was hard to travel with the animals. And so uh, you could make a good living just selling animals that people needed to sacrifice there. And uh, people were going in there and they had this kind of consumer mentality. Huh. You know, uh, when I go to the store, it's like, huh, is there anything here for me? What is it that I might want to encounter? What do I want to buy? And uh, really what they were kind of maybe showing up there is kind of like, what what do I want here? So they would show up at the temple with this consumer. This place is really not about God. It's here for me. And what do I get out of it? And so what does Jesus do about that? See, uh, Jesus entered into the temple area and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. You're changing its Intent. You're changing its purpose. Jesus came to put an end to the Old Testament law, the 613 laws, and all of the sacrifices and blood sacrifices, and you can do this on that day, and you can't do that on that day, and you can take that grain, and you can eat that, but you can't eat that. And that you throw away the fatty parts, but you have to eat the meaty parts. After you boil it, and he's came to throw away all of those things, and he wanted to bring it back to its uh, God's original intent. And you know what the God's original intent was? Genesis Chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the Garden of Eden. And while they were there, we read that God would show up in the cool of the day, and he would hang out with Adam and Eve. And he would spend time with them, and he would converse with them. And God was their God, and they were his obedient, loving kids. And he hung out with them. But all of that was ruined when when Satan deceived uh, Eve and when Eve deceived, uh, deceived Adam and the fall and sin enters into the world and it's broken 
And ever since that time, God has longed that he would have a relationship with us that would be interpersonal and not about following rigid laws, but it would be relational, not rigid, but relational, not rigid, but relational. And Jesus was making a change from the rigid to the relational. He made a big change. Listen, sometimes churches can get hung up on the rigid. Um, some people that I know, they, they tell me about uh, when, when they were growing up, they went to a, a, a church, and uh, if you were caught playing cards, you know, you could take a deck of cards and deal them out there and you play a game, and, you know, at family as a family. If, you, if somebody in your church, their, their church, found out they were playing uh, cards, they were, suspicious. they were suspicious that they might not really be Christians because everybody knows good Christians don't play cards. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And, uh, uh, but that's what was taught in their church. Um, and so churches can be rigid. Churches can be very, very uh, rigid. And uh, uh, some churches can uh, kind of establish themselves in a way that uh, they let other people know that uh, 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 there are rules that you must follow, even though they're not written down anywhere. And if you go in and act a certain way or say a certain thing or participate in a certain thing, uh, that's bad news. And so churches can be like that. But I think there's evidence. I think that you can make a case. And we're going to make our way through this. That Jesus was shutting down and putting away a rigid church because he desired a relational church. And we, were, uh, we are creatures of habit and we like routines and we like the familiar. And so we get comfortable in our own little safe place in the way we do things. But I think the Bible has some things to say. About that. So write this down. I call it a stuck church. A church that gets really, really stuck and is really, really rigid. I call it a stuck church. And for the sake of this sermon, write this down. Stuck churches live for comfort. Stuck churches live for comfort. Think about this. They, uh, they, they live to keep their membership happy. That's what they live for. They want the members to be happy. And so they, they make decisions are made in the context of what makes everyone happy. And I want you to understand something. Some churches are, I had the opportunity one time to go and preach. I was asked by somebody to come and preach at their church as their guest preacher because their preacher was on vacation. And so I went there and I preached and, and you know, to me, I preach. It was probably the best sermon they had ever heard, ever, right? And, uh, and but uh, I so I, I preached and um, and uh, got done afterwards. And then they they had a, a a fellowship hall down in the basement, and I went down in there and uh, I sat down. My wife was with me, and we sat down. And we got a little coffee and we got a little pastry thing, and we went over and sat down. And uh, one lady in the entire congregation came over and introduced herself, and that was the only people that introduced themselves to me while I was at this church that I had come to be their guest preacher. And listen, but you could tell and you could see in the entire congregation, uh, uh, everybody was related to everybody. Everybody was related to everybody. And so it was grandma and grandpa here and aunts and uncles. And this, this, this thing was such a family, such a family that they were not open to having anybody from the outside come in. And as I was talking to my friend that had actually invited me, he said, you know, 
it's really difficult for people to come in and be a part of our church because if they're not kind of in the club, they're not really welcome there. It's a, wow, that's hard. That's hard. Churches can kind of set themselves up and establish themselves that way. But here's what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 28. He says, I have come not to be served, but to serve, to serve people, to be kind to people, to love people. I'm not about uh, rigidity. I'm about relationship. And so, uh, but uh, a church, a church that's kind of stuck, well, uh, they're trying to keep the members happy. And maybe they're trying to do this, write this down, uh, to avoid controversial issues. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to talk about evangelism. And that means you. And if you're here today, raise your hand. And uh, that's you. That's the you we're talking about. Nobody wants to raise their hand because you don't want to be called on. But we're going to talk about evangelism. And the Bible says that you are supposed to be sharing the love of Jesus and telling people about Jesus. You're supposed to be doing that with your coworkers and your friends and the people that you encounter. And so we're going to drill down on that really, really hard. And so we're going to make you feel guilty about not doing that, right? And so, no, we don't want to do that. But sometimes churches won't talk a lot about evangelism because they know people aren't doing that and make them feel uncomfortable. So instead, let's talk about money and tithing. And they're supposed to be uh, tithers, right? No, we, we don't want to talk about anything uh, controversial. You know, you talk about marriage. Are we going to talk about uh, marriage? You know, who's, uh, uh, who, who's, what does, uh, how does God define that? Who's supposed to be married? Who's not supposed to be married? Well, we can't really talk. Any hot button uh, topic that's uh, uh, coming sort of down mainstream here, we're not going to talk about any of those things because we don't want to push anybody away. But Do you know what Jesus says about all of those hot button, every single hot button subject? You know what Jesus says about all of those things? He says, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. John 8, 31, the truth will set you free. And so why wouldn't we want to know what God has to say about every single topic? Every single topic. God loves us. Guess what? God's smarter than me. He's smarter than you. He's smarter. He knows better. And so why wouldn't we want to just go straight to Scripture and know what he says about all of these things and then apply them to our lives? And so stuck churches, uh, they can live for comfort in the way that they demonstrate comfort is by keeping the members happy, avoiding controversial issues, or by doing this, remaining cautious. You ever, heard of, you ever heard something like this before? We've never done it that way before, Right? Or we've always done it this way, right? And so a church can kind of get hung up on those kind of things. But I believe that when Jesus shows up and he was communicating to those people that were there comfortable with the consumer mindset and he shows up at the temple, he was frustrated. He's like, this has got to come to an end because I didn't come so that people would follow all of these rules and be rigid about that. But I came that people would enter into a relationship with me. And when they have a relationship with me, They'll come into conformity with me and they will live the way I ask them to live because I've asked them to live that way because I love them. And so stuck churches can do these things. Stuck churches, uh, they can also get bogged down. They just get bogged down. Listen to this. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, Peter has been hanging out with Jesus. Jesus ascends up into heaven And then uh, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches the first uh, New Testament evangelical fiery uh, uh, sermon. Uh, People heard that sermon. Uh, They wanted to be attached to uh, to Christ. And uh, and so they said, what do we need to do to be saved? And and Peter says this. Peter replied, repent. means turn around. Do a 180. If you're walking away from God, flip it around, come back to God. And be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words and warnings, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from what? This corrupt, to save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Anything corrupt in our generation today? Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Why? Why did so many people want to attach themselves to Jesus after they had heard this message of who Jesus is? That your sins could be forgiven, that you could be made right with God. That there weren't any sacrifices that you had to make. You didn't have to go to the temple anymore. You didn't have to cut the head off of an animal anymore. You didn't have to bleed blood of an animal. You know, these things are all going away. There's, only, there's one sacrifice. It was Jesus. Sacrifices are done. Get to know what Christ has done for you. He took your sin. He nailed it to the cross with him. That is the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, that message began to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Why? Because that rigid message had went away and the relational message had moved into place. What is your relationship like with Jesus? Is it rigid or is it relational? Can you have a comfortable conversation with our Savior? Or do you have to start off every time with, Oh, God, I, I did it again. Or do you say, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Let's take a walk. I want to be close to you. I want to sit here. I want to open up uh, my Bible. And I want you to fill me with who you want me to be. I want to be in relationship with you. Listen. Here's what we can say. They stopped being rigid and stuck and started preaching a saving relational message and the church grew exponentially. So, the New Testament church began to grow exponentially. More and more and more and more people began to attach themselves to the church. And so, write this down. New Testament churches are creative. New Testament churches are creative. It's crazy how creative the New Testament church began. Uh, do, you, do you know? Uh, okay, so uh, Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? And so uh, a lot of times while we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas time, we also tell the story uh, there in the beginning of the Gospels of who is the guy, who is Jesus's cousin that came uh, and was announced right before Jesus was announced. So it's John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist shows up. And then John the Baptist starts, uh, he came uh, according to fulfill Old Testament scripture uh, that was written thousands of years before Jesus came, that there was going to be a one that was going to announce and proclaim that the Messiah is coming, Jesus is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. And this, his name was John the Baptist. And we read about him in the book of Matthew. And listen to this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent means turn around for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a lot closer than I think it is. Jesus is already alive and he's walking around and he's my cousin and anybody didn't lean on that. Says, this is he, this is he who was spoken of from the prophet Isaiah. Long, long time ago, it's been predicted that he was come. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. 
him and make straight your paths for him. And then something very interesting happens. Kind of step aside, and we get a little bit of commentary on wardrobe. Now, you usually don't get a lot of commentary in wardrobe in Scripture, uh, right? Uh, and so in the Old Testament law, you can read about what the high priest was supposed to wear when he would make his way into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifices and things. Uh, but you don't get a lot of New Testament commentary on what people were wearing. And then you read, all of a sudden, uh, Matthew, uh, led by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Word of God, as tells us this is what John was wearing. John was a really cool 60s hippie before really cool 60s hippies were popular, right? Look at what John was wearing. It says, it's down here. Okay, John's clothing were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist, but a dude was hanging out and he was eating food and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, this would have been quite a spectacle to see, right? Uh, here's this guy that shows up uh, wearing, you know, some kind of a skinned thing around him with a, a belt, and he's out there, you know, eating some honey and uh, grabbing a wild locust up, and he's saying, you guys need to be ready because the kingdom of God is coming. A little more honey, another uh, crunchy, you know, those, uh, locust there and crunch on that deal. And are you ready to meet? You know, and people would have been talking about that like crazy, right? And then it goes on, it says... John's clothes were made of, verse 6 says, people, uh, people went out, oh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. People went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Think about, if a guy like that showed up to preach here, a guy like that, he just kind of comes in wearing some deer skin, you know, and he's got a belt and, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's really crazy and he's got something unconventional and he's eating it there, you know, and, and uh, would you let him preach? Would you let him preach? Um, because there's only one guy that was a little bit creepier and a little bit weirder than John the Baptist, and that was Jesus. Because Jesus was the kind of guy that would see somebody that was covered in leprosy and go up and touch him. Jesus was the kind of guy that would say, oh, you're blind and you want to see. (laughs) Spit in the dirt and he'd pick up that muddy goop and he'd walk over press it into the eyes of the man. And they ask him a crazy question. Do you want to be made well? Folks, that's not conventional teaching. That's out of the box. That's creative. I believe that those things were done to create spectacle, to create conversation. To, create, to get people going, this is different than we've ever seen before. And this is new. And it's not about rigid. It's clearly not about rigid. It's clearly not about rigid. I mean, these guys, are. it's about relationship. It is, it's different. It's way out there. And I believe that a New Testament church is called to be creative. And Jesus hung out with all kinds of sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. And there wasn't anything traditional or routine about Jesus. New Testament churches take a dangerous, uncivilized approach to spreading the gospel. 
really dangerous and uncivilized approach to spreading the gospel? Write this down. New Testament churches have a risk-taking faith. A risk-taking faith. Listen to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Without faith, it is mildly somewhat easy to please God. Without faith, everybody can still please God. You really don't need any faith. You just do whatever you want, and God loves you and invites you into heaven. Isn't that what Scripture says? A lot of blank looks. By the, yeah, it is up there, right? Okay. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe and he, that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. In the book of Acts chapter 15, there's this story in the book of Acts. And um, uh, the gospel had begun to spread. People began to pay attention. Who is this Jesus guy? Who is this Jesus guy? And they wanted to learn more about him. Well, some of, the, some of the new converts to Christianity were people that grew up and they were Jews their entire life. They were watching films on an old uh, projector, right? And, uh, but there was a new delivery system now. Now it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, but what they were so tempted to do because they grew up being Jews, uh, they grew up being Jews, and even some of the Pharisees had been converted to Christ, and now they were Christians, they were Christ followers, and they were paying attention. And, um, and, and, and they were out there and moving about and around, and, um, and they were beginning to tell people, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not only do you need to put your faith in Jesus, but you also must adhere to all of the Old Testament laws. And for uh, some of you fellows out there that are new to Christianity, we're going to start with circumcision. You know, and uh, so they would turn and leave, right? And uh, that word got around, where that word got around, that there were some of these Pharisees uh, that would become Christians, and they're trying to get everybody to take on all of the rigid stuff from the Old Testament law. And then they began to discuss amongst them. That word got out, and then Peter learned that. Peter said, "Oh no, 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 no! It's not about a church being rigid. It's church being relational. We we can't, you don't have to do all that. In fact, the way that Peter talks about it in the book of Acts chapter 15, he says, why would you want to yoke them to all of those Old Testament laws? You know what a yoke is, right? Big, a beam, you connect two oxen that pull on the yoke and they're pulling the big, and so that's a very, very clear image. Why, Why would you yoke them to that heavy, heavy burden of all of those Old Testament laws? Why would you do that? You don't do that. You tell them, place their faith in Jesus. Um, repent, turn around, live for Christ, live for him. Don't, don't yoke him up to all of that stuff. Now what we need to do is we need to get some guys to go back up to Antioch where this uh, false teaching has been spreading and we need to go back and we need to tell them about that. So we need to recruit some guys that are going to go up there and tell them uh, that we're, uh, what truth is, what truth is, that you want to be in a relationship with Jesus. And so they recruited some guys. But what's interesting about the criteria that they used to find the guys that were going to be worthy of the charge to go deliver this message is a very high bar. The bar is described in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 25 and 26. 
So they're getting ready to send these guys up. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. They're going to go up and deliver that message. Who are these guys? Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rigid church can be rigid, law-abiding. Relational church might sound easy. They risked their lives. They risked their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would that look like today to risk your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I have to admit as a church, we don't ask you to risk your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask you to do really hard things like work in the nursery. We ask you to do really hard things like can you sign up and bring treats to our fellowship time before church starts? Would you be willing to help with Kids Club? Would you be willing to donate an hour and maybe be a Sunday school teacher? We ask you, uh, relational church, I love Jesus so much and he is so important to me that I am willing to go into my work environment, to talk to my neighbors. There's going to be a cost to me to share the love of Christ. We don't want to be a stuck, rigid church. We want to be an out-of-the-box, motivated to love Jesus church, that we would risk our lives to share the love of Christ. Which begs this question. Are you willing to risk yours? Are you willing to risk yours? The entry point, the bar, is really, really low. Say, I want to be a follower of Jesus because of what he has done on the cross for me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And then you have to say, I want to repent. If I'm moving away from Jesus in my life, I want to turn around and I want to move towards Jesus in every way in my life. And I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to be lowered into a watery grave and I want to be raised again a brand new person that now lives with a faith that is willing to take a risk to share the love of Jesus wherever I go, wherever I go, wherever I go. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you ever made that commitment in your life? If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, that's a conversation that I'd like to have with you. We sit down, we talk about what it means to be baptized into Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, then my challenge to you is to live a big, bold, dynamic life loving Jesus and loving others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example. 
Father God, help us to be again the people that you call us to be, to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. I speak the name of Jesus over you.